Jeremiah 18. We'll start with verse 1 and go through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, look, I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now all of you from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. When something breaks at your house, do you fix it or get rid of it? I was raised by children of the Great Depression. Along with their contemporaries and also in my work with seniors, I've had many opportunities to see firsthand how people of that generation handled life. People of duty and faith and perseverance, of course they tried to fix things. It was unfathomable to them to throw something away when it could have been repaired. They lived in a time that things were saved because you might need them again. It was wasteful to buy an item that you already had when one could be fixed. Things were way less disposable then, I think, than now. As it turns out, wanting to fix things instead of throwing them away is actually a personality trait and not simply a feature of a generation. Researchers call it being a high-repair propensity person. Say that five times fast. High-repair propensity person. These people feel proudest when they find a new use for an old thing or bring something back to life that has been expired. There are people who value innovation, and they don't see repairing old stuff as an inconvenience, but as good stewardship. We're seeing a lot more of that now, I think. And even if it costs more to repair than most people would think it's worth, they don't care. Maintaining and avoiding overconsumption while getting the most out of something is most important to them. In our text today, the Lord has instructed Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house to see the work that is being done there. Often, God uses word pictures, doesn't he, to teach lessons He knows we're visual, so having something familiar will help the lesson to stick in our mind. When the prophet gets there, he sees a man working at his wheel, crafting a vessel for use. Some kind of receptacle, container, jar, something that will hold liquid or something. It's going wrong, and so the potter begins again. And as he reworks the clay, a new type of vessel takes shape. 
The potter doesn't dispose of the clay. He works with what he has to make use of it. What the Lord wanted Jeremiah to see was how he was planning on remaking Israel if they would repent. Israel is important to him. He doesn't want to throw them away. In their current form, though, they are not usable. They are trusting humans instead of God. They have turned from him and not kept their promise to keep the Sabbath holy or to honor him. They're living how they want and the Lord is not happy. This reading is part of an entire section of lament and pain and prophecies concerning judgment. God is giving a strong message here to Jeremiah. The key verse that I want to focus in on today as we ready ourselves for communion is is verse 6. When God first begins to speak to Jeremiah for what Israel needs to hear, he says, Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as the potter has done? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. These words then resonate through the rest of the section as God is illuminating the different ways that this is true. So let's think about what these words might mean for us. In this picture, we see God as creator. We know when we stop to think about it, that God has the best imagination we know. He is the best artist we've ever seen. The depth and the hues of the color of the earth, the beauty of the flowers, the trees, the mountains and oceans. We watch in wonder as children and adults, all the different kinds of animals. And we see that God had a good time making this world. Think about all the differences that exist in humankind just in this room alone. Like the stars in the sky, God has made each person unique and has developed an astounding humanity with so many lovely types of people. And we celebrate everything he's made. There's a unique relationship that exists with the artist and the work they create. This week I was talking to a friend who is a good painter. She said she was going to start something new with a new medium. And she remarked, I hope it turns out okay. I never know when I begin if the paints are going to cooperate or not. We shall see. Artists wrestle with their work. No matter the genre, there's always a kind of back and forth with the one who is creating and the thing that is being created. In many ways, it is through the struggle that the best art is born. So it is with God. Here is something happening with the clay. For some reason, it's not usable. It was spoiled or marred, so the potter needs to start over. Maybe more water. Maybe there was a flaw that had to be removed. Maybe there was too much air. Making pottery is a balance between ensuring there's enough moisture but not too much It's a constant process of looking for imperfections that will cause the pottery to break in the firing process. One artisan said, working with clay is like a dance. The clay and your hands have to move together. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God? With his hands on us, making us into his image. He puts his own hands on us to shape us and form us. Our life with him then is ever changing because he doesn't just put us on a shelf and leave us there. 
He works with us in tandem through life, through all the things that happen to mold us and make us like him. Whatever happened with the clay on the wheel, it's obvious that the piece wasn't being shaped the way the potter wanted. When artists create something, they have something in mind. They have a vision for what they're wanting to make. So the clay keeps getting worked until the vision becomes a reality. The potter understands the possibilities. Not everyone can do that. Not everyone can look at a lump of clay and say, I know exactly what I want to do with that. I know exactly what color it's going to be. I know exactly what shape it's going to be. And I know exactly what I'm going to use it for. I look at a shapeless lump and I see really a shapeless lump. Not artists. Not God. In the Father's hands, he molds things and makes them to be so beautiful and so amazing. And we want to be pliable in his hands. We want to be vessels that he can shape. We want to be receptacles that belong to him, full of his love and his presence as we get poured out into the world. In this picture, we see God's power. There's a reminder here that not only does God have the opportunity to mold the clay, he can also destroy it. We get into the mindset that we hold the future in our hands because we have power to make changes, power to use our resources, power to create our destiny. Israel often got into the place where they believed they were in charge of their future. So do we. This is familiar to us. But it leads to such frustration. God's nature is to desire reconciliation. And he always says, especially here, that he will change his mind when people repent. But he has the ultimate power to destroy, to tear down, to bring disaster. There's a threat here as well as hope. And God is reminding that he alone has the power to build and the power to destroy lest they forget. It takes great strength, emotional and physical, to be a potter. God wants to help them to be his people again, but they're working against him. The story goes on in Jeremiah, and he describes what will happen as a consequence when Israel relies on their own power. It's depicted as a broken pottery jar. Those who rebel against Yahweh can no longer be used as receptacles of his living and mighty presence. In this picture, we see God's sovereignty over all the nations. This passage has huge implications, not just for Israel, but for all governments. The Lord holds every country, every government in his grasp. In any moment, he says, he can build up a new one or tear one down. In our myopia, sometimes I think we think that the nations of the world are somehow disconnected from God. He is orchestrating the world in ways we cannot always see while still allowing a great deal of freedom. There's mystery in how that works. I'm not going to pretend to understand it or explain it. Yet we know God is in all places. And sometimes we just have a tendency to see and to believe and to focus in on what is presented to us. I also think that we can believe that God is not as engaged in our lifetime worldwide as he was in biblical times. But that isn't true. God is alive in the world. And we should be excited and pay attention to what he is doing. 
through his people in so many different places, not just here. He's doing great things. And people are longing for his glory and seeing it. In the West, we're very individually oriented and we tend to put ourselves first. In many ways, we reject the idea of standing as a whole nation before God. But there is corporate responsibility in families and neighborhoods and churches, in cities and states and nations. Values are expressed every day as a whole. A group can have a character that is quite in line with who God is or be quite opposed. If a nation is a vessel, what it is filled with becomes evident. I sometimes hear a call for America to repent. And in that call, I hear fear that if we don't turn from our evil ways, that something awful will happen to us. There is much for us to repent for as a nation. There is much for us to work towards in terms of unity and honoring the Lord. I think somehow how that best works is us living holy lives and then us going out and participating in real ways in our neighborhoods and in our city and in our world and in our nation where we communicate goodness. All of us have been born into a nation. Some of us have been transplanted to one that we call home. How do we then make the clay of that place continually workable in the master's hands? How do we become part of what is good as that vessel is filled? This passage is about getting another chance as individuals and as a nation. It's about how God and his grace doesn't throw anyone away. It's about how the Lord keeps calling everyone to confess their sins individually and corporately while God holds out the hope of redemption. In communion, we die to ourselves. Through the power of the cross, we are raised to new life. As we take the bread and the wine, we acknowledge that we are under the authority of the Lord Almighty, who died and rose so that our relationship with the potter might be complete. When we come forward, we're saying that we want and give permission for the Lord to mold us, that we're pliable in his hands, that we're allowing him to get rid of the imperfections and the things that are making us crack and broken and not usable for him. We're telling him that we give him permission and that we want to be vessels that are used and honor him in all things. So this morning as you come, may you be open to how God wants to remake and change you, even if it's painful or difficult, because he wants to save all of us. Let us say the words of the confession.